This is Dalio's Principles, a philosophical examination. The unofficial podcast companion for Ray Dalio's book, Principles. This podcast will deeply explore the book and principles. The podcast is hosted by Micah Bays and John Sextro. Micah has a PhD in philosophy and has taught numerous college philosophy courses, including The Meaning of Life, Ethics, and Reason and Argument. John shares his perspective from years of experience trying to live out Ray's principles in his life and work. And you can follow us on Twitter. Micah is at Micah Bays, all one word. And I am at John Sextro, all one word. And now, this week's episode. I'm Micah Bays. And I'm John Sextro. And we are back once again to talk about Ray Dalio's principles. This episode, we're up to principle 1.4. And 1.4 in the book is a life principle again. We're still on the life principles. We will be for a while. This one is look to nature to learn how reality works. Uh, Micah here, Ray is, is asking us to take a look at nature. He talks about it from like top down, bottom up. What were your thoughts about maybe the motivation behind this principle? You know, one thing that maybe we have a tendency to do, I don't know if it's just our culture or what, but maybe we kind of see ourselves as you might say, like a disembodied spirit that what we want out of life or, you know, how things can go well for us is independent, you might say, of nature to some degree. Um, maybe because, like, if, for example, if we think of ourselves as like just purely rational people or rational beings, we think maybe we don't need to take into account our physical nature. For Dalio, he's going to say, no, we are, you know, beings that have evolved through the course of time and, um, the way our bodies are made up, the way our psychology is, and so on, all of that has at least been affected by you know, how our species has developed. And so if you want a proper understanding of you know, how things work and um, how you can get what you want out of life, then you've got to take those things into account. Just to take it, I guess, maybe back a step. Because, I mean, that's really probably taking it, you probably took it all the way back, all all those steps back to Ray's initial, maybe how he's thinking about it or, or how he's looking at life and considering life. Uh, I look at this, uh, I've simplified this, I guess, a bit in my approach and the way I've tried to use this principle. And I think it's very much based on what you described, Micah, is, is that um, I see that, you know, things in nature are at, uh, I guess, nature in general sort of has arrived at a particular point where it's at this homeostasis where it's sort of in balance, although it's always evolving, things are always evolving in it. And all of those th- things are adapting and, and evolving all of the time to, their, well, they're evolving, and then the things around them are adapting and also evolving, and there's that that's going on. And we'll talk about a little bit more about evolving i think uh later on because that's a key part within uh within this principle is evolution but i look at this from the perspective of as i am working out how i'm going to adapt myself because i can't evolve i am who i am but i can adapt i mean i can't evolve i can't i can't evolve my dna i can evolve as a person maybe change my approach that as i'm changing my approach and as i'm adapting 
that I don't want to try and do things that are going to be or that are going to fly in the face of the rules of reality, the rules of physics, the laws of physics, the um, the things about just how nature works. I don't want to tr- try and drive against nature or physics or these laws or rules that what I should try to do is figure out a way to work within those constraints with the constraints of nature, physics, just the rules of, of the world, the laws of the world, etc. rather than try and battle against them all of the time. So that's the, that's sort of my layman's approach that I've used when I've been trying to adapt this principle in my life. So would you say there's anything that, that has caused you to change um, or are there different approaches that you would say you now take because you try to account for your nature in ways that maybe you didn't before? There's an example here that I, I'll use, Micah, and that is, you know, in looking at nature, a lot of times we see, well, okay, looking at nature, you see, imagine a, a, a group of ants, a colony of ants, and they're doing something. Maybe I come along and I accidentally like, stomp on what they're doing, not on them particularly, but uh, maybe I stomp on their, on their little ant home. I think about, I've thought about that with ants and I'm like, are they all like freaking out then? And uh, talking about the water cooler. Oh man, that, that guy, he stomped our home or, or do they roll with it? And I think, I mean, ants aren't us. We aren't ants. And you've got some more, I think, to say about us versus nature and animals and those sorts of things. Uh, But the ants just sort of roll with it. And they're like, well, that happened. So we're going to need a new place to live. Let's go create a new place to live. And they, they figure it out. And so what I've learned from that is that I don't have to panic when things change. I don't have to try and I don't have to sit there and pull my hair out and say, oh my God, you know, this happened. I maybe will for a few minutes. Like if my house would get stomped on by a meteor or something, I'd be like, oh geez, why'd that happen to me? But, it, but from there, it's like, don't let that slow you down. You've just got to pick up from where you left off and keep going. And it does you no good. It does the ants no good uh, to sit there and cry over their, their, stomped ant colony. Now they just need to go about creating something new. And so I guess that's, that's sort of where my motivation is from, from adapting this to my life. Okay. Yeah. I guess, you know, one thing I was thinking about was, so you mentioned the ant colony and you've kind of touched on this issue of, you know, I'm going to say crying about it. I don't think that's quite, quite, quite what you said. Um, but I am thinking, well, what if one of your fellow ant friends or fellow ant family got stomped on, right? When you stomped on the ant colony on the one hand saying, well, you know, let's just move on. And you know, what benefit does it do to worry about the colony? But I'm also thinking, well, what if one of the ants gets stepped on? Is there a place for grieving, right? Or, um, yeah, for grieving. Cause you could just say, well, what good does that do? The person's dead. Just move on. Um, that seems a little cold to me. Um, and I don't know that that's what really what you were saying. I wasn't saying that I wouldn't grieve and especially if in the case of the, you know, maybe my sister aunt gets stepped on. I think that that other, the ants that are close to that person will pause, reflect, grieve in their aunt way. I don't know. 
Uh, certainly humans would, and we do, but think of it also uh, in an organization or in a town or a church or, you know, whatever the community might be that you're, you're dealing with. If someone passes away in an event like that, they would be grieving, but it would be, it would be ripples of grieving. The people closest to the event would grieve the most and the people furthest away the least, uh, but that people generally carry on with their lives. And while it's a terrible thing, we all uh, sort of wrestle with our reflect on our own mortality. At that point, we, we ultimately have to move on or should move on at some point. Grieving is part of that process though. Okay. And, and I also have taken to this, I mentioned ripples in water and I, uh, I wanted to say a bit about that because that's another thing that I've used this principle for is to sort of, is to look at the way that I adapt to changes that happen to me as if it's a pebble or a rock that gets thrown into a body of water. It's like, I don't have to overreact every time something like that comes along. And you see that with a lake when a rock gets thrown into it, there are ripples, but then the lake calms again. Right. So I want to be calm, be able to adapt like water, calm like water. And when something happens, I should have an appropriate reaction, but not an overreaction, not an underreaction, the right reaction, and then find a way to move on. All righty. So one thing this makes me think about uh, as far as applying this idea of learning, looking to nature to learn how reality works. So at times there's a discussion about uh, what time school should start for kids. And, you know, it can vary. Some schools, I think are as early as like seven o'clock and some are as late as nine. But there, there have at least been studies that support the idea that I think teenagers is the one I heard. Uh, teenagers their, you might say, internal clock really is different uh, than you know, like adults, and they would actually benefit from from having a later start time. I think I've even heard as late as late as like ten o'clock in the morning. And so here's this: I see this idea of looking to nature to see how reality works, because if you want kids to be successful in school, then it would make sense that you would want to have them in school when they're brains or you might say optimum optimum capacity or something like that. And so, you know, there's obviously other factors that go in as to when school should be held. Um, right. Cause you push teachers uh, schedules back. And so then they'd have to stay later and so on. Uh, but nonetheless, there's this idea of, well, Hey, let's not just do school times based just on what it's been in the past and say, well, it's always been 8.30, so let's just make it 8.30. But, hey, we're physical organisms. Our brain works in a certain way. What would help kids best succeed, you know, as far as a starting time? I think that's just one example of what Ray has in mind. Micah, there was a point where I compared us to ants, but I also said that uh, we are not ants and our ants are not us. So talk a little bit more. I mean, obvious, the, all the obvious reasons why we're not animals and animals are not us. You know, we have a better thought process and things like that, but what else do you, what, why, how does that all relate? And why do you think um, Dahlia would ask us to, you know, look at nature to see how reality works? Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things for Ray is, you know, although he recognizes, you know, the, similarities that we have with other animals. Uh, there is also something that what Ray points out as being unique about humans. And that's that he says, you know, we have, we have the ability to think from a quote unquote higher perspective uh, and see how everything works together. Whereas, you know, presumably most 
animals, you know, your dog or cat or the ants or whatever. I don't know if ants really have thoughts at all, actually, but, um, you know, they probably see things just from their own perspective and largely just think about how things affect them. But Ray says, you know, as human beings, we have this unique rational capacity to look at things from the outside in, you might say, or from the higher level. And, you know, we don't see just how things affect us, but we can see how everything is affected together. Uh, so one of the things that goes with this ability to look at things from a higher, higher perspective is that you know, we can think abstractly and logically. Uh, we can construct arguments and write them down, right? We can do math and you know, we can follow the um, logical conclusion of various mathematical problems, right? If you've ever done long multiplication, right? that's something that other creatures presumably can't do. And that seems sort of like looking to nature uh, to learn how reality works, because all of those things that you mentioned uh, with, uh, well, at least math and uh, math for sure is one of those things that is a, is sort of a representation of nature or is, is based on how reality works. The, the realities behind physics and math and those sorts of things are, are, is humanity figuring out sort of how reality works and using that to, to figure things out more broadly, to, to plan, to do science and, and philosophy and those sorts of things, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's no longer you have one banana and you have another banana and you have two bananas, right? We have those concrete things, but we can think abstractly and instead just think of one, right? We have one thing and another one thing combine them. And we have two things, um, so you're, no, you're leaving the world of the concrete and you're just thinking about these abstract ideas at that point. I have two bananas or I have a bunch of bananas. Yes. In the explanation on, on this principle, Ray tells a story about a wildebeest or recounts a story of a wildebeest being taken down by a predator and how he feels bad about that. Uh, but that's, a, that's another example of looking at reality and witnessing reality. And while maybe Ray, at the moment as he saw this, noticed this event, felt like, oh, that's too bad. Uh, when he reflected on it, felt like, well, that's how, re that's how nature works. That's the reality of nature. Going back to that homeostasis that I meant, that, that balance, that there's a certain balance in nature of, well, some things have to die so other things can live. And one thing, you know, maybe the wildebeest doesn't think that's great but the predator thinks it's wonderful because now they're alive and there's this whole circle of, there's that circle of life and is it good for the whole rather than being good for the one? And I don't know. I know a lot of philosophy starts to enter in here, Micah. Certainly. Um, yeah. I, you know, I found this to be an interesting example he gives um, as to, you know, looking to nature, determine how things actually are not how we think things should be. Um, and again, this is obviously tied to his idea about, you know, radical truth, being willing to look at, discover how things actually are, not the way you want them to be. Um, so, right. You could say, well, he didn't want it to be the case that the wildebeest was eaten by the hyenas. Um, but he had to look, he's willing to see the way things actually are. 
you know, I guess I have my concerns about some of the conclusions he draws from this particular example. Okay. Um, what are those? So I guess my concern is he, he comes to this real realization that ultimately uh, it's good that the wildebeest was eaten by the hyenas because it's good for the world overall. This word good is very problematic for philosophers, isn't it? It is. <laughs> well, and for the rest of us. Okay. Um, so on the one hand, the way, you know, some of it comes down to how do we interpret Ray here? Um, Cause he says, you know, his initial thought was, well, that's bad. And then later on he wants to say, well, in looking at the effect it has, you know, is that ultimately it's good. And I almost want to read him as saying, Oh, it's actually good that the wildebeest got eaten in and of itself. Um, so there's a fancy philosophy term called protanto. Um, so it's a protanto evaluation. Like if you consider something protanto, you're thinking about just that thing itself, as opposed to, you might say, an all things considered judge- judgment. Sort of in isolation. Exactly. And so I, I think what he's probably really trying to say is protanto. Yes. Right. It's in isolation. It's bad for the wildebeest. Like it genuinely is bad. Um, but all things considered, it's better that the wildebeest be eaten because it allows the continued evolution of the world or nature and so on. So one question for me is, well, how do we know it's better overall, right? So what we might want to think about is what you might say is a counterfactual world or a counterfactual case. Suppose the wildebeest weren't eaten. What follows from that, right? Um, and presumably, we'd probably want to extrapolate this out to like all animals and say, what if no more animals were ever eaten? What would follow? Yeah, I mean, th- this, this rabbit trail starts to get pretty deep. Because it's like the whole, the butterfly flaps its wings in Asia and causes a hurricane in uh, the Gulf of Mexico sort of thing. We start to get into these deep sorts of trails with, well, what if the, what if the wildebeest doesn't get eaten? Then he has more wildebeest babies and, and, and what? And it's all a bunch of uh, what ifs and, and could bees. Right. Um but presumably, Ray's got some idea of mind that there's some overall good that's achieved by the wildebeest being eaten. And so what is that? Um, presumably, the, for Ray, it's, well, evolution would either stop or at least be hindered significantly. Because, right, I mean, you could have just a bunch of plants around, right, that you don't have other animals eating other animals. Right? You could still have, like, plants that exist. Presumably there's a judgment here that having animals rather than no animals at all is a better thing, right? Or having animals, even if they eat them, eat each other is better than no animals at all. Yeah. Well, before we get into like a a philosophical debate of veganism or (laughs) eating meat, I mean, this, this transcends all all of this. And this is just the example, right? The case, this case of seeing the wildebeest get eaten, but there's, it's it's every it's every sort of event that plays out in in life that could have gone a different way um and and wondering what if wondering what if we didn't do that what if we had done this 
And I think there's only a certain amount of that that we can take on as individuals to sort of reconsider all of those decisions. I don't think that the the wildebeest family, was they lose <laughs> one of the wildebeest, sit there and, and want wonder why they they pick up the broken pieces of their little wildebeest family life and they move on. They grieve, but they move on. And that's that's what I that's sort of the point I think that is being made here is that bad things happen, good things happen. Uh we can't always control them, but that you have to learn to be sort of adaptable to the events that happen around you. Yeah. I, I mean I think I'll I'll push back and I'll say I I disagree with you on this one. Great. Um, I love it. <laughs> um I, I do think uh Ray's wanting to make some value judgments here or uh, make some inferences to come to a value judgment about the nature of goodness. Um, and so what I would say is I think, you know, his idea of looking to nature to determine how things actually work. I think that's a good principle, but I think maybe he misapplies it in this case. I think that maybe he draws some erroneous conclusions from looking at nature, um, you know, from this wildebeest example. Uh, but we'll leave it there before we get down too many rabbit trails. Micah, I know that there's a lot that could be said about good and we could continue to, I really debate deeply uh, philosophy behind, I think what is good, especially in these cases, these examples that we've given some of this, as we said, sort of has to transcend just individuals and think about it on a broader scale and somehow tying this back to that we all have some sort of purpose and this, this combined, um, this combined whole that is our world today, uh, has, has some purpose we're, we're all trying to accomplish something both individually and, and as a world. And what do, what do we think about, what do we have to say about individuals contributions to that purpose and to the evolution as a whole? Are we, are we really just vessels for, I mean, if you boil it down to scientific terms, is our only reason for existence to be born, live, die, pass, to be born, to live, to pass our DNA on and then die? Or is there something more? I think philosophy would suggest that there's maybe more. Uh, or maybe less. <laughs> I guess it depends on your... I guess it depends on your philosophical point of view. Right. There are certainly different philosophical, philosophical views, but as I used to like to really point out to my students was, hey, although there's all of these views, and so we might say it depends on your philosophical view, well, that doesn't mean that whatever you think is the case is the case, right? Some of those philosophical views could just be wrong, right? Including mine, right? Um, yeah, and I think ultimately it's the question of, well, what is the purpose of life, simply put. Yeah. Uh, so for Ray, at least, he not thinks... So, not so simply answered, mind you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, but so for Ray, right, he does say the... So not in this chapter, but earlier on, he said that the purpose of everything is to contribute to evolution as a whole. Um, and he acknowledges that, or points out that, you know, whatever each individual contributes is very minimal, um, but nonetheless, you can contribute to some degree. Um, 
in this chapter, in this principle, he specifically talks about how every living thing's purpose is to act as a vessel for DNA. Before we evaluate that, so I'll just say from the outset, I've got some real concerns about it. Um, but uh, before we get into that, I thought maybe we'd do a little bit of a philosophical dive into just this topic of the purpose of life. Uh, again, because I just want to help the reader or listeners uh, evaluate claims about the purpose of life. And so if we can maybe talk about some of the considerations relevant to that topic, as we talk about Ray's view, maybe people feel more enabled, better enabled to think about it for themselves. So with this question of what is the purpose of life, just want to kind of point out there's, I think maybe typically two ways people interpret this or, you know, two different meanings people give to this question. So the first one is like you said, John, why am I here? Right? Why do I exist? Uh, the other maybe interpretation of that or the meaning behind the question is, what is it I should be doing with my life or what should I accomplish with my life? Right. What's my purpose? What should I be doing? Um, now to that first question, why am I here? Uh, seems like maybe there's a couple ways you could be asking that question. Uh, and here I'm going to draw on uh, a little bit of a philosopher named Richard Swinburne. Uh, he actually wasn't talking about the purpose of life, but he was talking about explanations when we give explanations for things. He talks about one, we can have a scientific explanation. The other way is that we can have a, we might call personal explanation, personal in the sense of some person did it. Um, right. So if I knock over a cup, right. If a, if a cup gets knocked over, you could ask about the scientific explanation about what were all the scientific factors that went into the cup being spilled. But then it also seems like we want maybe a personal explanation of, well, what was Micah's intention in spilling the cup, right? So one, was there an intention at all or was it accidental? Um, but, you know, maybe I spilled the cup just to get attention from people. You know, I just wanted people to notice me or something. Um, or it was just an accident. Right. Yep. That's the other alternative. Um, and so when you ask that question, why am I here? You know, there's two explanations you could be asking for. One is a, you might say, purely scientific explanation. Like, well, what are all the scientific factors that led up to my now being here at the present time, right? Um, but I guess for most people, that's not ultimately satisfactory who are asking what's the purpose of life. Um, I think maybe they're looking for a, you might say, personal explanation. Now, right, does that mean it's necessarily a like supernatural person or, you know, like did God, you know, what, what was the purpose that God created me um, or the gods or you know, whatever it is that, you know, would be a different kind of explanation for why we're here. That's personal in some way. We operate the podcast on the value for value model. We are entirely listener supported. If you enjoy the podcast and find value in the information and entertainment you receive, you can donate to the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Dalio's Principles and click support this podcast. There are even more ways to support the show. You can dazzle all of your friends with information learned on the show and share the show with them on social media. Also, you can review us on iTunes. 
It'd be awesome if you blog about it or even talked about our podcast on your very own podcast. And you can always direct your friends to our subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Dalio's principles. And now back to the show. So you think people want a, a, a personal answer that supersedes that scientific answer that we gave previously of vessel for DNA. That's not enough for people. So they want to, they want to have a per this personal reason, this personal motivation. I suspect so. Uh, we'll get into that too, as to why I think maybe that's the case. Um, but I, I just don't get the impression, at least when I've heard people talk about this topic, that they're going to be satisfied with a purely scientific explanation. Yeah, I right? don't think so either. Um, so then, yeah, this other question about the other way to interpret this, what is the purpose of life question is, well, what should I be doing or what should I accomplish with my life? Um, it seems to me maybe that's a question of what's a worthwhile way to live. You know, what's a good way to be living? Um, the, what is a way that gives my life value, right? Some people talk about their life being pointless, um, not worth much, and you know, they want purpose in life. Um, have you ever read the book um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? No, I haven't. Uh, excellent book. Um, you know, whether you agree with him on his ultimate position on this or not, um, but Viktor Frankl was and I'm probably not pronouncing his last name correctly, but uh, Victor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. And he talked about how people in the concentration camps, those who did well and those who didn't, what he seemed to identify as the cause. I mean, obviously besides, you know, you know how they were treated, but apart from that, you may say psychologically people who were able to maintain a healthy attitude um one that you know they didn't kind of just succumb to the circumstances and um lose a desire to live that sort of thing what he said seemed to be the differentiator between them was those who still saw a purpose in their life or a meaning in their life and those who didn't and um it was it's a fascinating read it's really good um you know again whether you agree with his ultimate conclusion or not. Um, but it seems like for him, he recognized that there was this real deep seated need, you might say for people to have a purpose in life. So uh, for listeners, you may want to check that book out. Um, all right. So yeah, we have those kind of two ways of thinking about what is the purpose of life again? Why am I here or what should I be doing to accomplish with my life? I think another interesting question is why do we care about these questions, right? Why do we ask the question, what is the purpose of life? So here we'll go into some alternate worlds, you might say. Um, so suppose an alternate, there's an alternate world, a different world than ours, where people didn't die. Would we still ask that question, right? Because you know, some of it may be, why is it that we only exist for a brief amount of time? What's the point of that, right? And so given that I'm going to die, what purpose does my life have? Does it have a purpose at all? Um, right. Um, now maybe we would never die, but imagine if you continued to live your life as it is into eternity, right? For an infinite amount of time. 
I think we could still envision some people asking, what's the point of this? What's the purpose of life? Um, so again, think of an alternate world, right? What if there's a world where there was no bad things that happened? Um, one particular thing, right? Let's say there was no pain in the world, no suffering. Would we still be concerned with the question then about the purpose of life? Would that matter to us? Um, so w- what I'm proposing is that perhaps this question about the purpose of life is a result of the fact that we're mortal, uh, that we die. And so there's a question about, well, why is life brief? Why is it temporary? Why doesn't it just always go on? And so then the other thing I'm proposing is that maybe we ask this question because of the suffering that goes on in the world, you know, whether ourselves or others around us. Um, and that makes you think, what's the purpose of this? So, you know, with this question about, you know, what's the purpose of this pain or the suffering that goes on, right? Think about maybe there were times, right, where when you were a kid, your parents made you do something you really didn't want to do at all. And you thought, this is so dumb. This is so stupid. Why are they making me do this? It's kind of like this idea of, well, if I'm going to be doing something, it seems like it needs to have a purpose. You know, if someone's making me do this, you know, I should only have to do this if there's a purpose behind it. There's some greater good that it's serving, that kind of thing. Right. So if you do have a conception of uh, God and you think that he's created the world, then that might lead you to think, well, look, there's got to be some purpose behind why we come here and we, why we live and we suffer. Right. Um, so, you know, depending on what your view of the universe is, whether there's a God or not, that might affect, you know, why you're asking this purpose question. Um, does, does it only apply if there's a God? I mean, what if, what if I, how do I evaluate purpose in, in lieu of believing in a God? Um, so there are different views about this, certainly, right? Um, so, uh, there are philosophical views that think you can have purpose, even if God doesn't exist. Um, I mean, clearly there are tons of people who believe there isn't a God and also have feel like there's purpose in their life. Are there people maybe that, that don't believe there's any purpose to life? uh, Certainly there are people who think that there is not a purpose to life. Um, So some of it, you know, can be a question is, well, can we give our lives purpose? Um, so, uh, there's a philosopher named, and I'm going to, again, mess it up, but John Paul Sartre, um, he, you know, he's gonna say, you know, God doesn't exist. Um, and so he's going to say like, our life doesn't come with, you might say a prepackaged purpose. Um, so he's famous for this quote, um, our existence precedes our essence, uh, the idea being, you know, if God existed, he could have determined what kind of beings we are, what kind of creatures we are. Um, he could have determined what our purpose is. But Sartre is going to say, because there is no God, we come into life without, you know, a purpose or um, he's going to say an essence. There's nothing definitive about us, but it's our lives, which determine what our essence is going to be, what we're going to be like. And so, and maybe I'm twisting his words a little bit here to get to around to this idea of purpose, but effectively you can maybe give your, give your life meaning by how you choose to live. Um, 
although he didn't see this as entirely a positive thing. So there's this other famous quote of his that um, man is condemned to be free. It's kind of paradoxical, but the idea is because we're free beings, because we have the ability to choose life we're going to live, we are continually faced with the decision of what kind of being we are going to be, what kind of person we are going to be. And we can't escape that. We're forced to choose who we are, you know, in every moment, every decision. It's entirely up to us. That, right. That, that blessing and the curse of no one's telling you what your purpose is, but the positive of nobody's telling you what your purpose is. So you get to decide there's no manual that comes with us that says you're destined to do these things. It's all entirely up to us as the individuals. Right. And that's, I think what he's alluding to, isn't it? Yeah. That's certainly what Sartre is getting at. Um, some people can see that as really freeing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but others, as you know, he seemed to say, think was actually kind of a daunting thing, a daunting task, right? You've got this responsibility at every moment to determine who you are. You have to figure it out entirely on your own. Right. So, you know, again, back to your question about, you know, well, can things have purpose if God doesn't exist? Um, so Aristotle's famous for what he calls, or what is, what is called the function argument. Um, and we can talk about function as being roughly similar to like your purpose. Now, Aristotle, he thought that God does exist, but he certainly didn't think of God in the same way that, you know, you might say Judeo-Christian um, religions view God. Um, it's not this real personal being, um, the God that Aristotle had in mind was largely, if not entirely unaware of our existence. Mm. Um, these were the, the Greek and Roman gods. Uh, well, so, I mean, Aristotle was certainly around at the time of, you know, the Greek gods, but he didn't have those kinds of gods in mind. Um, you know, uh, but what for Aristotle, he, he would say that each kind of thing, and here he's going to say each species has its own function or has its own way in which it should live. Um, and so he's going to say, you know, we all, as human beings, he's going to say we're rational animals. And so our function is rational thinking. That's, uh, you might say, contemplation. That's the way we should live. That's, you might say loosely defined, you know, our purpose. That's the way, you know, it makes sense for us to live the way it's rational for us to live. Um, so definitely you, right. There are philosophical views out there that you can have purpose, even if there's not, you know, like a personal God who's given you a purpose. So does, do we have to have purpose in order to live a fulfilling life? Depends, maybe, um, but I, you know, I do. So I do think. So for those of you who maybe look into this question about purpose of life, and you think there isn't purpose, um, note that there is um, the possibility that even if life doesn't have purpose, uh, there's a possibility that your life can still be worth living. Right? Those are two distinct concepts, two distinct ideas about whether life has purpose and of whether about and about whether life um, is worth living. Now, some people think if it doesn't have purpose, then it doesn't have, 
you know, it's not worth living at all. Um, Leo Tolstoy wrote one of my favorite books. And I would say one of my favorite kind of introductions to philosophy. Um, he has a book called a confession and he calls it a spiritual autobiography. Um, he certainly deals with issues of faith quite a bit in it, but a lot of it, there's questions about it. It results from, uh, at a time in his life where he was largely successful, largely happy. Things were going well for him. Um, and yet he came to this conclusion that his life didn't have any meaning, didn't have any purpose. And so he, at the time, came to believe that life was not worth living at all. Um, and he actually shares a story that apparently was originally given by uh, Buddha about the meaninglessness of our lives. So Tolstoy tells the story uh, that, and I'm going to give Tolstoy's version of it because it's a little different than my understanding of what uh, Buddha, uh, how he told the story. But he said there's this Eastern fable about uh, a guy who's just kind of out in the countryside and he's getting chased by uh, a monster, a, a beast, and he's getting chased by a beast. And to escape the beast, he jumps into a well. Well, at the bottom of a well is another beast. And so the guy who jumps in the well grabs onto a limb that's in the middle of the well and holding on to the limb, you know, it's preventing him from falling all the way down to being eaten by the beast. But of course, you know, this is a bad situation, right? If he goes down, he's going to get eaten. If he leaves the well, he's going to get eaten. And so, you know, he's kind of happy though, right? Because he hasn't been eaten yet. And so he's holding on to this limb, and while he's holding on to it, he notices there's two mice, a black mouse and a white mouse, circling the limb that he's on, and they're chewing the limb, right? And he realizes as these two black and white mice chew the limb, given enough time, eventually the limb's going to snap and he's going to be devoured by the beasts at the bottom. But he also notices there's a little bit of honey on the limb. And so, you know, one thing he could do is just lick the honey. Um, and so all of this is a metaphor for our life. And the black mouse and the white mouse represent night and day about how, you know, they circle and come around, you know, um, you know, night and day revolve. And eventually, right, we're all going to die. And his point is, right, when you think about this story, you're going to say, this is so meaningless. This is so worthless, this guy's life, just being in that well. And he's like, okay, yeah, I could distract myself and lick the honey. But nonetheless, I'm still in this very precarious situation that really seems to rob it of any meaning at all, any worthwhileness. And that is our life. So when Tolstoy tells the story in his autobiography at the time, right, he does think that his life is meaningless. And for him, the, the big question is, well, why don't I just commit suicide? Um, now, ultimately, he comes out of it. He, uh, he comes to belief in God and thinks that you know, that gives his life meaning. Um, but he, he does hold the, he holds the position that if God doesn't exist, then his life doesn't have purpose, and therefore it also doesn't have value. It's not worthwhile living. Um, so, again, just to point out, there's 
various views one might take on the relationship between purpose and whether life is worthwhile or not. Yeah. And so how does that, maybe if we look at it from Dalio's perspective, how does, are there transitioning, you know, are there similarities between what Tolstoy is saying and, and Dalio's outlook on the purpose of life? Well, I think, you know, for Tolstoy, he's going to say Dalio's misguided here, right? In thinking that life can have purpose if God doesn't exist. Um, Cause he's going to say, look, eventually you're going to die and that robs your life of meaning. Um, and now I think Dalio perhaps would respond. Yeah, but I can contribute to evolution. I can help evolve the world, help evolve the species. Um, and so even if I die, I have a purpose and that I help the world survive. Um, and I help it evolve in particular. Of course, then there's a question of, well, yeah, but aren't we all going to, you know, even if I die, you know, whatever evolves, whatever goes on to exist, won't it all eventually and, get snuffed out at the end, right? Because yeah. there's this, my understanding of present science is that they claim that eventually the world's going to collapse upon itself, right? Um, and, you know, nothing could survive those conditions, right? When the world collapses. So the universe, when the universe collapses. Yes. And so, yeah, we might evolve for a time, but eventually it's all going to be brought to nothing. Right. Or at the very least, we'll have to like start over again. Um, yeah. So is it just all about the honey? That is a question, right? Uh, and certainly that's one of the things that Dalio talks about. You know, there's this question about, do we save our life or do we make a difference? Um, right. That does seem to be the question. Do I help the world evolve or do I just savor it? Do I lick the honey while I'm here? Tolstoy and Dalio don't maybe agree on everything in this regard, but um, why don't we take a closer look at what Dalio means by purpose of life? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, there's the question of, you know, what does, what does Dalio's view of the purpose of life mean? Um, so we can take a look at that. And then I think the other two questions we might want to think about is, well, is his view of the purpose of life true? And then the other question we can ask, does his view of the purpose of life actually have any implications for how we should live? Um, and we'll kind of flesh those out a little bit later. Um, but yeah, what does this mean um, when Ray says that, you know, our purpose in life is to contribute to the evolution as a whole. So uh, one thing he says is that evolution is good because it is a process of adaptation that generally moves things towards improvement. One of the questions for me is, well, what does he mean by improvement? Um, so if you want to think about it in terms of like the building of a house, we can talk about the processes involved that go towards the improvement you know, of the materials there, right? Until they're in some final structure. You might say, like if you go into a construction site and you see it, you might say, oh man, this is a mess, right? But the foreman might come and say, yeah, but here, let me show you what this is going to look like. Let me show you, you know, the improvement that's gonna ultimately going to exist as a result of all of our processes. And so he could show you the blueprint. And so I think for me, when he, when Ray talks about quote unquote improvement, I, what I want to know is well, what is that blueprint for improvement? What's that final thing towards which we are moving um, that evolution is moving us towards? Do we so, always have to have, a, does there have to be a blueprint or like an end state or can we 
can we just couldn't couldn't we just uh, could we argue that a blueprint really isn't necessary my maybe my blueprint really just is that i notice that things are a certain way today in in nature in reality and i want to contribute to evolution by making it different in a way that in in a way that our society would hold as a common good so it's not necessarily that i have a blueprint or a grand design that says i'm the ultimate end state is this clearly defined by the blueprint it's just that the blueprint is me identifying things that aren't great and finding a way to try to improve them and continuing to do that loop we we certainly could i think you know for me the question is going to be well what is the good and what's the bad. Um, I know it's always back to good and bad with, with you. <laughs> it is. And that's, uh, that's a really hard, hard thing to answer because it's so personal. It can be personal. Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard because it's a hard question, uh, a hard topic. Um, and that's why I tried to point to this common good generally accepted as a society, as a common good. It's, it's a common good. And even if it's not a common good, even if I'm not able to contribute to the common good of a society, if I just simply contribute to my own good uh, by evolving, by, by responding to pressures in my, in, in my surroundings, that I'm finding a way to improve and evolve and, and hopefully contribute positively to my own common good. Yeah, I guess still my concern is, right, we we were talking about a common good, but then that, to me, entails that there might be common bads, you might say. And so if yeah, I'm going sure. to contribute to the common good, well, what is that? What are those, what is that thing or what are those things that are good? Um, and, you know, the impression I get from Dalio and talking about this, you know, it does seem like he's talking about at least, you know, the improvement of, let's say our brains, right. That we become smarter. Um, but you know, is it also about becoming stronger physically? Is it also about faster physically? You know, are we trying to make ourselves have better physical, um, natures? Is that the idea of evolution as a whole? Um, is that what evolution is driving us towards? Um, yeah, I think he, I think we have to, uh, it differentiate maybe what Dalio means by evolution versus what is meant scientifically, because we can't by and large, I don't think we can impact like our species evolution because we're set in stone. The evolution happens between the generations and between through the, the adaptations that, that occur at a, at like a glacial pace. And so we're talking about, evolving the things that are within our control as a, as an existing being today. Yeah. I mean, so there, I, you know, I agree that, you know, there's definitely limitations that we have, but you know, he does take this higher perspective, right? And I would say, you know, we can think about it in those terms and we can think about it. Um, you might say locally or like in our own context, but about what we can do about it. But he wants to say, nature as a whole as a whole is having us evolve, right? Having us improve. And I'm just hung up on what is 
that improvement to count as. And let me just say, I think one of my concern is, concerns is it seems like maybe ultimately whatever the good is, is just existing, continuing to exist, not dying off. Um, it can't be that it, it, it can't be that, that because that's not a, that's not a potential outcome of not dying off. There's an end. We just don't know when for you and I, it's shorter than, you know, humanity overall. Right. I mean, it, the whole, the whole thing presupposes like back to what you were philosophizing about earlier was that is there meaning to life if there is no end, but there is for us. So yes, we could think big thoughts about what if there weren't, uh, but ultimately all, all, all of these things end as far as we know. So we have that general context um, to ground ourselves in, in terms of our evolution. And I think we're not, we can't, we can't, I can't evolve myself today in a way that's going to prevent me from ending because I will. So my, my intrinsic motivation to improve myself is to, is to have more honey, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was about to ask you. So John, what is, what would you say you are trying to evolve towards? Would it just be like evolve towards more honey, right? Being able to consume more honey. I mean, can I ever crawl out of that well and, and evolve, evolve enough to take care of the beast at the outside of the well? Cause you don't really, Tolstoy doesn't give us any hints about any, uh, you know, that beast. How, how can I take that beast down? I don't know. Well, I think for his story, it's certainly, look, there's nothing you can do. It's coming for you. Non, right? You're gonna, it's non-defeatable. Right. Um, yeah. So some people listening to this are probably thinking, yeah, but we haven't proven that we can't change things right if we become you know advanced enough maybe we can change you know nature enough or the world enough the universe enough that we can prevent its collapse somehow right um but yeah i was going to ask you yeah what do you see is the good what what's evolving worth evolving towards and so yeah we might think about in the context of the well with that metaphor if we are just going to get devoured by the beast is there anything that it still makes sense to evolve towards improve in that scenario um even if we're ultimately going to die right individually and as a species it's it's why i think as a as as a being the purpose is important to us because that purpose helps us helps give us a target other than you know being that that vessel for the dna the purpose allows us to put on blinders to the fact that we're all going to sort of expire at some point and it, and it, and it gives us something to do in the meantime to maybe generate some happiness, some joy in our life, uh, and find ways to maybe help spread that to other people. But it's very much defined by us individually as to what, what we decide our purposes, which can be affected by societal norms and, and societal pressures of what, what good should be or what your purpose should be. But ultimately, it, it comes down to people, I think, individually deciding. All righty. There, I'm philosophizing now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're always all philosophizing. Based on my limited philosophizing. Is philosophizing a word? I think it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. I like it. I like <laughs> saying it. Do Ray's views on the purpose of life have implications for how we should live, Micah? Yeah. So this goes to a question about the purpose of life and 
is it action guiding? Um, in the sense that, okay, even if I know what my purpose in life is, like suppose I do have a purpose, does it follow that my life should therefore be lived in accordance with that purpose? Um, so let me give you an example where I think it doesn't. Like suppose some evil villain creates me in like, you know, a test tube and he creates me for the purpose of helping like subdue the world, take over the world. Right? It could be that I might say, well, even if my life's purpose is to help subdue subdue the world, take over the world, I might reject that as how I should live, right? That I shouldn't actually live in accordance with what my purpose is. Now notice there's some presumptions here about what makes it the case that you have a purpose in life. Some people might say, well, even if that's why he created you, that's not really your purpose. Um, but let's just say that was the whole point here is we could recognize that we have a purpose in life, but we could also reject the idea that that informs us about how we should act and how we should live. And so the question is, if it really is the case that our purpose is to contribute to evolution as a whole, does that inform me about how I should actually live? Um, right. If think about from a self-interested perspective, if contributing to the evolution of the whole doesn't benefit me, should I still do it? Like, why should I fulfill my purpose if it hurts me in the long run or doesn't help me out a whole lot in the long run? Um, now, Ray, we'll see later, we'll talk about why understanding nature's purpose for you will actually benefit you because um, you can make decisions. It helps you make decisions that do benefit you. So we started with a conversation about the principle uh, that we should look to nature to learn how reality works, to see how reality works. And we did, Mike, a very deep dive into a philosophical examination of the meaning of life and what is true about the meaning of life. What do we mean by good when we refer to purpose and the meaning of life? So we lived up to our title as a podcast, as a philosophical examination, wouldn't you say? I think so. Yeah, we, we really knocked that one out of the park today. So we wrapped up uh, this principle 1.4, and we'll be back next time with more principles. Thanks, Micah. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going on our subreddit, Dalio's Principles at reddit.com. The subreddit is Dalio's Principles, all one word. Join us to interact with a community of like-minded individuals.